We come here to the conclusion of the chapter. It's the last, last two verses. And that's going to need to be moved a little bit. It's, it's taking me to Hebrews 13. <laughs> that will not help the message. <laughs> verses 39 and 40. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. This chapter, we've looked at all these different individuals. There's individual stories. There's lists given. And it takes us all the way back to creation, back there in verse 3, understanding how the words, the worlds were framed by the Word of God. A lot of times people will look at this chapter and they'll say, oh, well, these are examples for us to look at and they're for us to re respond in the same way. If you have a situation like Noah, then you look at Noah and how he did respond, that's how you respond. And Abraham, that's how we're supposed to respond. But no, it really isn't the way this chapter was designed to be interpreted, though, yes, you can see how each individual responded. But the overarching theme of the chapter really is to demonstrate to us the nature of overcoming and persevering faith is to teach us what it looks like to persevere to the end. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, just before we got into um, chapter 11, note what the writer says in verse 36. He says, For ye have need of patience, you have need of endurance. You need to persevere. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Down in verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Then he goes and gives us this whole discourse in chapter 11 on persevering and enduring faith. People he's writing to, they're, they're suffering some persecution. They've been made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions. They've had their goods confiscated. We learn later in chapter 12 that they've not resisted yet unto blood, but they are being persecuted. And the writer wants to encourage them, don't, don't fail. Endure. Keep going. And here are these examples of persevering faith given and re referring us back to the Old Testament. Now, we come to the conclusion, the conclusion of the chapter. And here, the conclusion is this. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now, when you read that, at, at, you know, at first glance, you're like, well, then what did they get? They didn't receive the promise. Why? And the chapter gives us the answer. The answer is in verse 40. So the conclusion is an explanation of why the Old Testament saints did not receive the promise, and the explanation is there given in verse 40. The verse tells us that it's because of 
us. Because of us. You say, well, how does that all play out? Well, I'm glad you asked. So let's look at this passage here today. The Old Testament saints, these all, beginning of verse 39, when he's talking about these all, he is referring to all those he has been speaking of from verse 2. For by it, or by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Or another way of interpreting that verse or translating it would be the elders obtained witness or a testimony of God's approval. And we know that God approves of faith because in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. But all of these, the elders obtained a good report. They met with God's approval by faith. Abel. Abel was approved. He obtained witness that he was righteous. By faith, he offered the more excellent sacrifice. And he was killed. The next verse, Enoch. By faith, he walked with God. And God raptured him. He was translated. Of course, throughout the chapter, we read different results. But the Old Testament saints gained God's approval by faith. And God's witness of them was that he approved of them. But verse 13 tells us, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. He said, well, wait a minute. What do you mean they didn't receive the promises? If I go back and I read verse 7, you know, by faith Noah, Noah was warned of God uh, about the flood. And he built an ark and he was saved. And he obtained witness that he was righteous. Did he not receive the promise? And, and what about Abraham? Well, yeah, God, God promised Abraham that he was going to give him this land. And well, he didn't receive it in his lifetime, but eventually they got the land, the promised land, and the, there were the 12 tribes. Didn't they receive the promise? What about, what about Sarah? Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive and, and what? Had Isaac. Well, isn't, wasn't that the promised son? Didn't she receive the promise? So how does this verse, why does this verse say, these all died in faith, not having received the promises? Well, yes, Noah obtained deliverance. Sarah obtained a son. But these are not the promises spoken of in verse 39. They're not the promises spoken of in verse 13. Because these people did not receive the promises. And in fact, may I submit to you, these people have still not received the promises. They have not received. All these have attained a good report through faith. They've received not the promise. They have not yet received the promise. Now, to receive the promise, we need to know what the promise is. Is that kind of question coming up in your mind yet? Well, what is the promise? I mean, if the promise for Sarah wasn't a son, then what was the promise? 
If it wasn't, you know, the land, well, Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that, you know, he's going to make him a blessing and gave him all these promises. Go back to chapter 9. Hebrews 9 and verse 15. Hebrews 9:15. And here we are speaking of Christ who offered himself and his blood purges the conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And it says, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament or the new covenant that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The promise of eternal inheritance. To receive the promise, of course, means to receive the promise blessing. He's not saying, well, these didn't receive the promise. In other words, God didn't give them a promise. No, they have not received the promise blessing. It's a future promise. What is that promise? Well, back in Genesis chapter 12, we go back and look at what God promised to Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So here's this promise given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Is this, is this promise of eternal inheritance, is it the promise of the blessing of the Messiah? Is that what it is? Is this the blessing of the Messiah that was promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12? Remember, all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And he's there alluding to the fact that the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come through the seed of Abraham? Well, we know it's a future promise, but it's not the promise of the Messiah. Because here in chapter 11 in Hebrews 10, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Why not? Well, because God in his wisdom had planned something better for us. Now, this is a future promise, and what is the promise? Well, let's look at some passages of Scripture. I want you to turn in your Bible and note again Hebrews 10.36. It's just over a page. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. The people to whom the writer is speaking have not received this promise. Okay? Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. Romans 8, verse 23. And here he is speaking, uh, speaking. He's speaking about the creation. 
He's speaking about how sin has affected the creation. And in verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Something that we are waiting for. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a great passage on, everyone should know this, this whole chapter is speaking of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks to the resurrection. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to note the end of the chapter. In verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery, something previously unknown that has been revealed by God. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not everyone is going to die. When the Lord returns, there will some be raptured who will be alive. Others will have died. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Whether you were dead in Christ or whether you were alive in Christ at the rapture, all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Thessalonians. Turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13. Paul is here instructing the believers there about the end times. He wants them to be assured of what is to happen. Verse 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are dead. Your verse probably doesn't say dead. It says asleep, but he's speaking of saints who have died. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, 
Then which we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, my question is this. What is the eternal promise? What is this promise that these believers, though they met God's approval, have not yet received? These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Look back at verse 10. Again, I'm just, I'm kind of directing your thoughts. Here's Abraham. He's given a promise by God, and he sojourns through all this land. He doesn't build a castle, doesn't build a city. He dwells in a tent. A tent is something that you can easily pick up, fold up, travel, move somewhere else. So he was mobile. He was sojourning, wandering. That's what the word Hebrews means. They were wanderers. But here is Abraham. He's sojourning in this strange country, verse 9, in the land, it's the land of promise, but he's wandering through it as if it was a strange country, dwelling in tents or tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And look at the very next verse. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What's that doing there? Why is that there? He's walking through the land of Israel, you can fly a plane and land over that there right now and walk around, it's kind of dry, and you can see the sights, there is a place. But he's not looking for a place on this earth. He seems to be looking for something spiritual. He's looking for what? He's looking for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. And he goes through his life and he dies. And of course, we know that when he dies, he didn't own any. He didn't have the title to any of that land except for one burial plot, which he had purchased. It wasn't even given to him. He purchased it. So, what is this? These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. This is the eternal promise. What is the eternal promise? It is the promise of a glorious resurrection and life restored in eternally glorified bodies, and that has not yet been realized. Where is David's body? It's still over there in Israel. You might not be able to identify it. It's probably just dust by now. Moses, where's his body? Well, we don't know the exact location because he's buried by an angel of the Lord. Aaron, these Old Testament saints, where are their bodies? They're still in the dirt. They're still over there. They're still buried. And so what are they waiting for? Where are their spirits? Well, their spirits are in the presence of the Lord. But there is a bodily resurrection that is to come. And this is what Paul is speaking of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is so interesting, because he says, listen, do not 
do not grieve as those which have no hope, as those without faith. Don't grieve and don't be ignorant concerning those who have died. My father died, what, 12 years ago, I think. And his body is in Lakewood, Colorado, in the dirt, buried. He fits in right along here with Moses, Abraham, David, Samuel. Their bodies are decomposing, seeing corruption in the ground. But, it says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. What's going to happen here at the rapture? The Lord is going to return. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And who's going to be with him? My dad, Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Peter, the man who wrote these words, Paul. They're going to be with him. God is going to bring them with him. And then what's going to happen? It said, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. These earthly bodies that have suffered decay are going to be resurrected. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about those new glorified bodies. It is a bodily resurrection. This here is this promise which the believers and the Old Testament saints have not yet received. This is the eternal promise of, nine, of chapter 9, verse 15. Now, the question is, why has God designed it this way? Or why didn't God not give them the promise? And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Well, God in his wisdom has planned something better. We are included. This us. He says, God, having provided some better thing for us. Who is the us? Well, the us is the believers. The believers under the Christian economy or those under the new covenant. Now, there's two possibilities. When he says better, he could be saying, well, better for us might be in a comparison between us and them. And certainly, we've received, you know, wonderful things under the new covenant. I mean, he's described that all the way through the book of Hebrews. We have Jesus, who is a better high priest. He is the better sacrifice. There's the better uh, temple. There's the new and better covenant. Jesus is better than angels. All of this. The manifestation of the way into the holiest through the blood of Christ. 
But that's not what he's talking about in these verses. The writer really is not contrasting, but rather showing the resemblance of the circumstances, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament believers. They did not gain the promise. They have not experienced yet the resurrection unto glorified bodies. They've not experienced this, not yet, because God has prepared something better for them as well for us. And again, this refers to the promise of the eternal inheritance. In fact, as what is, what is said of the Old Testament saints can be said of every saint who dies before the kingdom age established at the second coming of the Lord. The object of our faith and their faith lies beyond the grave. Now, he says, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. So together, we might receive the promise of perfection. Here's the big picture. What is God doing? He is perfecting us all in one. And this is the clear message of Scripture. Read Ephesians. Ephesians talks about that. About God bringing together those in one. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look there in just a minute. Another reading of another translation here of verse 40. All these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise that they might not without us be perfected. Old Testament and New Testament saints are perfected together. We're perfected together. Ephesians chapter 2. Note this passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. <clears throat> He's just been talking about them, how the Gentiles, they, had been, they were aliens, they were strangers from the covenants of promise, but now in Christ Jesus, in verse 13, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one, who is both Jew and Gentile alike. He hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Back there at the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles, and they were separated from where the Jews could go. That wall is gone in Christ. He says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Jew and Gentile alike, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And look what God is doing. This is part of his plan. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, you look towards the end of chapter 1, and what is God doing? Paul wants him to understand the greatness of the power of God toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Verse 20, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Remember who Jesus is? He is the first fruits of them that sleep. He is the first one to have the glorified body. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He's the prototype, so to speak. 
says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. God is bringing everything and placing it under the authority of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I mentioned before, looking at that passage dealing with the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 28. It says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man cometh death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, speaking of Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. And that's just what we described back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When he comes back, he's going to bring the Old Testament saints with him. And the saints that have died up to that point, they are all going to return with him. Their bodies will be resurrected. And we will be raptured. And we will all be changed. And we will enter into that glorified eternal state. So he says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. He's saying God is the one who is putting all things under Christ. God is not put under Christ. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, unto Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And then Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, this helps us to understand how this chapter ends. Hebrews 11. Here are these Old Testament saints. They've walked by faith. And as we were memorizing, the verse we memorized, the last verse we memorized for this week, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 39, these all... Speaking of the martyrs here, not just the martyrs, but the ones who had great victories. These all, all the way back to Abel, 
Adam and Eve, all, all these, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. They are still waiting for it. God having provided something better that they might not without us be perfected. Old Testament and New Testament saints are together perfected, together glorified at the return of Christ. That is here what he is telling us at the end of this chapter. God has provided something better with us in mind. We are included in this event that, so that they should not reach perfection except with us together in the wisdom of God. Now, again, that is a very, that's a fascinating passage or pa- passage of Scripture, these last two verses. Um, I want to go back and look at one other passage here. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching and he's speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, you have taken by wicked hands, you have slain the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. And he says here, In verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. Now this is a prophecy. This prophecy is back from the Old Testament when David was alive. David wrote this at Psalm 16. Peter quotes this in his sermon, and he says this, David speaketh concerning him, concerning the Lord, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or in the realm of the dead. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Jesus died, and what happened to his body? His body was placed in a tomb. How long was his body there? Well, it was there for three days. And it did not see corruption. Jesus' body did not decay. That's what he's talking about here. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. You see, Jesus went to hell. Remember, hell, that word in Scripture is referring to the place of the dead. And there were two compartments. One was called Abraham's bosom or paradise. The other is called the hell. Okay, Sheol is the whole compartment, but hell, the place where the rich man was. He was suffering torment. He could look across this great chasm and he could see that Lazarus was at peace. Lazarus was comforted, but he was tormented. 
The Bible tells us in the end that death and hell will be cast where? Into the lake of fire. When we think of hell, we generally think of the lake of fire, the end. Okay? But the Old Testament saints were in paradise until Jesus led captivity captive. We really believe that at his death, he is his soul descended into hell, into the place of the dead. Okay? And what did he do? He led captivity captive. He took those that were in paradise to heaven with him. But they still have not received their glorified bodies. These are they, along with those who have died in Christ prior to the rapture, God is going to bring with him at the rapture. Their bodies will be resurrected. The sea is going to give up its dead, the Bible says. Okay? All that have died, their bodies will be re resurrected and changed into the glorified body that we are to have for the eternal state. So here, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this passage. And then in verse 29, after he quotes that, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and he is buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. You can still go down and see David's tomb, and his bones are there to this day. Well, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the first fruit of his loins, of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before, David seeing this before, seeing the promise, embracing it, being convinced of it. He's seen this before. It says, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So here, Peter is saying, now listen, when David wrote these words, he wasn't referring to himself, because obviously his body is still here. His body decayed. It was probably dust by then. It would be definitely dust by now if they know where it is. So when David was speaking, he was not speaking of himself, but he was speaking of Christ. Jesus' body was buried, but it did not suffer corruption. Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. He led captivity captive, and it says, Thou wilt not leave thy soul, he would not leave thy soul in hell. But Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. So we come to, again to the end of Hebrews 11. These all, having obtained God's approval, they're a good report through faith, receive not the promise. They're still waiting for it. And why haven't they received it? Because God's plan is that we, together with them, should be glorified. We will not go before them. They have not yet received the promise, but together there at the return of Christ, we will put off this corruption and our mortal will put on immortality. That's what these verses mean. God has a plan.
and God is going to glorify us together with them. And then that promise is going to be realized. It is a future promise. And even as this passage indicates, it was something yet future when it was being written. Now, that's what these two verses mean. That's going to tie in to where we go next week as we get into chapter 12, when he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all these who have gone on before us, they're waiting. We're running. We may be here at the rapture. I don't know. I look forward to the Lord's return. The sooner, the better. But it may be that I will die before the Lord returns and that I will be in the same position as David, Abraham, and Moses, waiting for the redemption of the body, waiting for that glorious promise to be fulfilled. But it's coming. And these... Again, these, this is the conclusion of this chapter, saying, be faithful, be faithful. All of these Old Testament saints, they looked ahead. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that by faith, we, as these saints of old, look forward to inheriting, to obtaining the promise. Lord, that promise of glorification there in your presence, our final salvation, the fulfillment of our, our the completed salvation. Lord, we eagerly wait for that. And Lord, we believe it by faith. Lord, help us to persevere to the end. Lord, help us to be faithful. For we have need of patience. We have need of endurance. That after we have done the will of God, that we will obtain the promise. Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, we depend upon your strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.